1: I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you in touch with technology
0: with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, crispy. All right. So today we were going to talk about something really vague. Yeah. Stuff you can hook up to your TV.
0: Right go okay so uh camcorders uh uh very small rocks uh cherries cherries no um we wanted to talk about really sort of pretty much everything home theater related that you you hook up to your television actually i didn't go into av receivers but i thought we'd do another episode later on about home theater components specifically but we kind of wanted to talk about Different stuff that you can hook up to your TV to get content, really. that was That's the way I looked at it anyway. I'm not sure about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, we're not talking about antennas or cable boxes or satellite boxes, for that matter, uh, because that's really, uh, or at least I wasn't.
1: At least not by themselves. No, no, no. Well, that's their only application.
0: We're talking about stuff that enhances what you, you know, the, the basics. Yes. If it's
1: a pair of rabbit ears that you can bake a potato on, I think that qualifies because it can do more than one thing.
0: That's true. That's true, and if you have one of those, um, send it to Chris. He's apparently very interested. <laughs> um, so scrambles an egg
1: inside its shell.
0: Uh, the 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 first thing I was going to talk about, but it, well, what was the first thing you were going to talk about before I jump in?
1: Uh, no, no, no I'm 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 interested to hear where you're
0: going. I uh, was going to start off by talking about the Great Wars.
1: The Great Wars. Yeah,
0: between Betamax and VHS.
1: Oh, okay. I, I thought we were going to have to get into that whole, uh, Austro-Hungarian thing. And I no. Was gonna go. I no. wasn't prepared to talk about
0: wars. No. Well, this, I hope you're prepared to talk about this one. Yes. Okay. So that, beta, that one I'm okay with. Betamax and VHS. Um, for our younger listeners out there, you may wonder what the heck these things are. This is what we old folks used to watch movie pictures on. <laughs>
1: And back, back shortly after we, uh, you know, hooked up the ViewMaster to the uh, fan motor, so it was really quick. First came fire,
0: (laughs) then (laughs) Betamax. No, uh, so Betamax was uh, it was a Sony project, right? Yep, good old Sony. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so you had Sony on one side, uh, JVC with the VHS technology on the other side, and these were both technologies that would allow home theater enthusiasts to watch programming on their television, pre-recorded programming uh, anytime they liked, which was a, a revolutionary thing at that point. And um, so it was two different technologies that were kind of similar. Betamax had a slightly better picture, um, but VHS could pack a lot more programming onto one tape than Betamax could. And so you had this this battle early on between the two formats. Is it going to be Betamax or is it going to be VHS?
1: Yep and honestly the uh from what i understand the two formats are not all that different in quality i mean vhs uh the if you read stuff about the the great wars yes <laughs> um a lot of times you'll hear that betamax was the superior format and it just you know completely creamed the vhs but from what i've you know in digging in a little bit more from what i've read they really weren't all that different as far as quality i mean not that most people worry about it i mean even you know, when people were using VCRs more than they do now, uh, a lot of times people would put record when they were record stuff that bleh, record things for themselves. They would use a uh, slower recording time and that decreased the quality of the, the playback considerably. Sure. So, um, you know, it's, it, it actually became more of an issue of convenience and the length of the tape more than it was video quality.
0: Right. In the original Betamax, I think you could only record up to an hour's worth of, uh, of yeah, programming. Yeah. And
1: the VHS lets you have two.
0: Right. Or up to four if you change the speed. The well, original exactly. Betamax is you couldn't even change the speed. Yeah. So yeah. when you think about that, you're thinking, well, how, how many programs on television would you want to record that are over an hour long? Yeah. There are plenty. Uh, sports events would be over an hour long if you For wanted sure. to, if you wanted to record an evening's worth of shows like, you uh, wanted to you know, get the primetime programming from your favorite station. That would be more than an hour. It's probably two hours right there. Or if it's a movie, that's going to be longer. So VHS was more convenient and uh, it got the leg up and eventually it ended up beating out Betamax. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever taken a look at a, a Super VHS um, not that I remember. I have a friend who owns a Super VHS machine and uh-huh. actually has Super VHS does tapes. Have,
1: does it have a little cape?
0: Uh, it does not. Um, it does wear glasses on occasion and I've never seen it next to the VHS machine. Huh. Hmm. Um, so Super VHS was really, it's the same sort of thing. It was the same sort of technology as VHS, but it was able to pack more lines of, uh, uh resolution into a um recording than VHS. So your quality was better. It was it was more luminescent, um colors sometimes suffered, but it was it was in general a a sharper picture.
1: Uh, Yeah well both technologies got better as the years went on. Right. But by the point that that happened the beta had already lost out pretty much except for, you know, like T V production.
0: Exactly. Yeah still pretty good for home theater beta's Pretty much, I mean, it it had become a non-entity. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, the reason why I bring up Super VHS Uh is because it never really caught on, you know, even though it was better quality than VHS, it never really took off in the home market. Yeah. So you're talking about a technology that's similar to an existing technology, but it doesn't go anywhere because consumers are happy with the technology they have being good enough. That's going to come into play later. Is it really? Yeah. I can think of another uh, – I can think of a parallel to that. Oh, can you? A current one. But before we get <laughs> to that, I was going to talk about a couple of other sort of legacy home theater devices.
1: For, for a moment, I thought you were talking about XP, but then I realized we weren't talking to computers. No, no,
0: no. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say that? Switch back anyway. over to home theater. Okay. So we also have the LaserDisc.
1: Yeah, so I was gonna make sure that you mention this because I know this is one of your uh, pet technologies.
0: Well, laser disc, sort of. Laser disc is—I never owned a laser disc. Again, I have, a fr- I have several friends who did own laser disc systems, and uh, I remember as a kid going over to uh, to friends' houses where they had laser disc systems and just being totally blown away because mm-hmm. the picture was so much better than VHS. Oh yeah, um, remarkably better. Uh, it got a little annoying if you had to flip the disc halfway through. Yeah but other than that it was really an amazing picture um, yeah. again another one of those kind of a, a niche market i mean you had early adopters grab on to them and then you had you know a small market in the us it never really took off outside of the united states yep. and uh cd technology is actually based off of laser disc technology
1: yep and and so is another one that you're going to talk about in yeah, a minute
0: but, but i i'm not there yet
1: yeah um yeah, the uh, laserdisc apparently had four hundred twenty-five lines of resolution, and one of the things that uh, I found out in doing research, um, even though I'd sort of looked at laserdiscs before, I didn't realize that the uh, the video format was analog. Yes, it was not digital. Right, uh, which is kind of funny compared to that other technology that everybody knows what we're going to talk about, but we're not yet.
0: Yes, exactly. All right. So, uh, I was also going to go ahead and mention, I've mentioned this in other podcasts. Uh, okay. But, uh, the capacitance electronic disc. Oh, that. That was the one that we owned. We didn't have the laser disc. Oh, no. No, we had <laughs> the capacitance electronic disc. And, uh, I've talked about it before, but I'm going to go ahead and give the spiel again. So what you had was a disc inside a plastic sheath. The plastic mm-hmm. sheath was about the same size as and this. Is also a dated reference for you folks out there. A vinyl record album cover. A what? Yeah, exactly. So you kids who don't know what we're talking about, um, something that you've never heard of, is about the same size as something else that you've never heard of. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, I'm, I just wanted to clear that up. So <laughs> the the discs actually had little grooves in them, and you know, a laser disc, obviously the the method that w- the device would read the, the information off the disc. They used a laser. thus mm-hmm. the laser disc. Um, Capacitance electronic disc did not use a laser. Mm-hmm. It used a needle. So there was a very, very fine needle, and it would create an electronic uh, connection between the needle and the disc itself. It would make a circuit mm-hmm. as the disc turned, and that's how it would read information off the disc and display it on your television. So it was more like a vinyl record than a laser disc. And uh, uh, you couldn't write to them. You could only read from them. So you would buy movies or whatever. And again, after about, I think it was around 40 minutes or so, maybe 30. I can't remember quite right now. But uh, you'd have to flip it over. It mm. would it would run out of space. And we had several movies. Um, I remember Raiders of the Lost Ark always ended with, they're digging in the wrong place. Flip. <laughs> So, uh, that was my experience in home theater as a kid growing up. Um, and then there's a, a pretty big gap. I mean, VHS kind of reigned supreme for several years. Yep. And is just now really truly going extinct.
1: Yeah. None of the other, uh, the videotape formats really have, uh, managed to displace it at all. I mean, not the, uh, you know, the Digital 8, you don't see Digital 8 players. No. Uh, you know, camcorders, yes, as you yes. mentioned before. I mm-hmm. mean, and you can, for most of them anyway, plug them right into your TV and watch the, the movies you record. But you didn't buy uh, movies on those formats. So no, you know, as no, far as no. as uh, uh, magnetic tape goes, that's pretty much the end of the line as far as, yeah, as you know, yeah. watching movies.
0: And I meant to mention this before just because I thought it was funny. Uh-huh. Do you know what the original uh, marketing term for Laserdisc was?
1: Um, Beulah? No. Okay.
0: What? Disco Vision. You're kidding. No. If I were kidding, I'd say a priest, a rabbi, and a horse walk into a bar. But I'm not <laughs> kidding, Crispy. This is being serious here. Disco All right. Vision. All right. Can Disco Vision. Out? I don't know why they changed it. Um, so.
1: Probably because they were trying to keep it past, going past the 70s. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. So yeah, the VHS, the Betamax. The capacitance, <clears throat> electronic disc, the laser view—those are laser disc, rather not laser view. All of those have their origins back in the the mid to late seventies, and then mm-hmm. throughout the eighties, uh, laser disc, like we said, never really got much of a foothold. Um, it had a larger market in the U.S. than anywhere else, and then VHS was reigning supreme for a while until the DVD came along.
1: Can we talk about it
0: now? Sure, let's go.
1: Okay, go for it. Um, well, these are uh, these are much smaller. Than the uh, laser disc. We you
0: may be about. familiar with the DVD yeah. format. <laughs> From what such movies, the as dominant media format in every culture today.
1: Yes, yes. Um, you know DVDs caught on for a couple big reasons. Um, one of which is that um, you know it's smaller right. and more convenient. The other is price. And the price of the, the DVD players, which is now what, like, uh, 45 cents or something like that?
0: Yeah. But when they first came out, they were, I remember them being oh, yeah. incredibly expensive.
1: Actually, I think, um, to some degree, DVDs have benefited from the success of VHS mm-hmm. because when, um, again, this is one of those things that, that, uh, some of the younger listeners may not remember, uh, because it may really technically be before your time. But when, uh, you used to buy VHS, I remember when we got our first VHS player. Movies were like $90. They were really expensive.
0: Yeah, a lot of that was because, uh, you had these, these rental agencies like Blockbuster mm-hmm. co- popping up, and what they would do is they would purchase the, the movies that would hit the market were really meant more for these, these, you know, aftermarket kind of places. Right. Um, so what would happen is a rental agency would purchase however many copies of, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you would be, you would rent it and they would make their money back through the rentals. Um, and, and it wasn't until the market had really established itself before you started seeing some, you know, the more popular movies start falling into home market, you know, price ranges. Mm-hmm. And then it started to, uh, to affect the whole, the whole system. But I mean, I own a movie that up until the point where it went out of print, the only, way you could buy it officially was if you dished out a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but blood salvage is not worth a hundred dollars. But if Jake can't fix it, it's been dead too long. (laughs) All right then. I was in that movie. Yeah. That's kind of why I wanted it. Okay. I bought it on eBay. It's all right. All right, moving on.
1: Okay. Yeah, but the, I think that helped the DVD because by the time the DVDs became the, the primary format for videos, it was the player that was expensive. Yeah. And the videos were considerably cheaper. Now, I mean, they were more expensive, sort of like another format that we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, you know, more expensive than VHS tapes. Sure. But, um, I think that that was sort of part of the transition.
0: And another interesting point about this is that. As people began to adopt DVD players, then you started seeing uh, stores cut back on how, on the VHS inventory, True. both rental places and you know big box stores or whatever. So it began to force consumers to switch over, even the ones who weren't interested in necessarily upgrading their experience, because the the jump between VHS and Super VHS wasn't huge. I mean, you could notice it. It wasn't. Unnoticeable, right. but it wasn't enough to motivate people to switch. The jump between VHS and DVD was significant. Yeah. And uh, that was enough to get enough people to jump over and adopt it to force the market to follow. Yeah. And uh, also DVDs had other great benefits as well, like you could include all these extras on DVDs and extra layers on DVDs so that you could watch the movie again with commentary, things like that, that weren't possible with VHS unless you just had some talkative people in the room with you when you're trying to watch your damn movie.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it was possible to uh, to do some of that in Laserdisc, too. Right. Yeah. Some, of, some of those features were introduced mm-hmm. uh, around that time. That's true. But, um, you know. People hadn't really seen that because they were kind of ignoring the laserdisc.
0: Right. Yeah. Only the laserdisc enthusiasts knew about that. They thought it was great, and everyone else just looked at them funny whenever they would bring it up.
1: Right. Right. But um, yeah. Actually, I think the DVD also affected the TV itself.
0: Sure. Because yeah. uh, you know,
1: talking about stuff you hook up to your TV, I've got a an older TV. Got got it in the uh, early nineties, and if you look on the back of it, it's got a coax connector on it, hmm. and no composite, no S-video, no HDMI, none of that stuff. So if I wanted to component. hook up a DVD player, you know, there's no progressive scan hookup or anything like that. Mm. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where people said, hmm, if they really want this kind of quality, if they really want DVD, we're going to have to, you know, provide some kind of hookup in order to make the TV worthwhile. And maybe they'll upgrade their TV, too.
0: That also ties into the history of TV, which is a little more complex. I don't think we'll go into that because it's uh, – maybe we'll do another podcast about that at some point because I kind of went nuts on that on a recent article uh, which was only tangentially involved with the history of HDTV and I said, no, this is more interesting. I'm going to write about this. Don't let everyone know that I said that. Don't <laughs> don't let my bosses hear this. Um, but uh, all right. So we've got the DVDs. That's the dominant form on the market now. Then of course you have the other format war that popped up. Mm-hmm. The HD DVD versus Blu-ray format for high definition video. And what's really funny or interesting to me is that even the winner of that format war isn't really doing that well. True. <laughs> so HD DVD was, uh, that was Toshiba's baby. And then you had Blu-ray, Sony's baby. So Sony's back in the game. They're stinging from Betamax, but now they're back and ready to fight. And so they've got, they're back in Blu-ray. Uh, the battle between these two was actually really interesting to watch, at least from my perspective, because you could see different Hollywood studios getting behind, a, you know, one format versus another, and then you had a few that were producing product for both. So, you know, the the interesting thing about these two high definition video formats is that they were again pretty close to one another. I mean, you had people arguing the superiority of one versus the other, and I think. Most people would say if you really looked at the specifications that Blu-ray did have the superior format, but it was interesting for a while there. It thought, I thought HD DVD was going to win because it looked like it had more public support.
1: You know, it's funny because um, we've talked about this. It's been a long time since we brought up that format war um, on the podcast. But, mm. uh, you know, you and I had talked about the the reasons why we hadn't gotten involved with that one. And that was simply cost. Right. Um, and that I think was probably the biggest factor in all of it was people weren't adopting either one of them. Right. So it kind of eroded uh, any early support that HD DVD got.
0: And yeah, that's kind of crazy because HD DVD was in general cheaper than Blu-ray. The Mm -hmm. movies were about the same price, but the cheap
1: being a relative thing,
0: right? Yeah. Less expensive, I guess I should say rather than cheaper Um, because yes, it was still several hundred dollars for a player. Uh, Now Blu-ray was almost a thousand dollars for a player for a long time there. Mm-hmm. In fact, for a while, the Sony PS three was the cheapest Blu-ray player you could get. And yeah. that was like 600 bucks. So, um, but eventually enough studios backed Blu-ray where Toshiba was, you know, said, all right, no mas." They threw in the towel and uh, Blu-ray won that format war, but mm-hmm. Blu-ray still hasn't really taken off. I mean, the, the numbers are up compared to where they were. But when you're going from, you know, 10 people owning one to, I mean, that, there's nowhere else to go. Right. Right. So DVD sales in general are down. Blu-ray sales are not taking off the way that people want. And I think part of it is the old SVHS argument. Mm -hmm. The improvement of Blu-ray over regular DVDs, while noticeable, isn't enough for people to be willing to switch to a new format potentially go back and purchase old titles that they already own on the new format. Right. Um, They're just not, it's just not enough of a, of a, you know, motivator. So I think that's why we still haven't seen Blu-ray really take off.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing that, that keeps me from buying a Blu-ray player other than price is that I don't have an HDTV, you know, and you know, watching a a regular DVD, it's 780p. Yeah, you know, that's I can't even see that probably on my standard definition television. Um, technically, no, you couldn't. So, you know, the point of buying a Blu-ray player for me is is moot.
0: Right. I have an HD TV, but I also have a wife. Yeah. And that would be why I don't have a Blu-ray player.
1: Yeah. Well, I
0: love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um. Not- no, no, no! I can't put the blame on her. I honestly, I, I have al- also looked at the the difference in quality, and while I can recognize it, I can't justify the expense. I mean, yeah. it's, and and they are cheaper now. There are cheaper Blu-ray players out there on the market. The movies are still more expensive than regular DVDs. Yeah,
1: yeah, but the the difference is different. Well, the difference is different. That's wise. Yeah. The, the difference is slighter than it used to be.
0: Yes. And we can also, I mean, there's also the up converting DVD players where right. they add in information from the discs and then give you a slightly better experience. It's still not the same as Blu-ray, but it's better than a normal DVD. And therefore, you know, it's an incremental, uh, improvement. It's not as expensive and you don't have to go back and replace your library. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and they may be, it may be that the whole physical media thing is a, a moot point in, in the first yeah, place.
1: Yeah, I was actually getting ready to go there. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, uh, d- you know the digital download thing. Yes. Uh, especially with um, companies like Netflix. Right. You know already that that's uh, a very that's going to be a very easy transition because uh, people who are already using Netflix to rent DVDs may just go ahead and go. You know what? They offer a download service, and it's already integrated, so I can just switch over. Right, and I think it's just going to be one of those things that it's going to be a transition to digital download that is much smoother than a lot of the other technological transitions have been. Simply because people already have, you know, people are using computers already to access Netflix, so they're going to start going. You know what? I can do this. This is not hard.
0: And even if you don't want to use a computer, if for some reason, you find the idea of, of hooking a computer up to a television is, uh, is intimidating in some way. Netflix is partnering with other, uh, set top box manufacturers to, to create a way for you to access Netflix entertainment through a box like Roku. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, granted, I've never used a Roku and I've heard some conflicting things about its interface and how easy or not easy it is to use, but that might be, An inroad for some people who, you know, they, they just, they can't get past that, that weird mental block about hooking up your computer to your television. And, but a box, that makes sense because a VCR is a box, a cable box is a box, DVD player is a box. So this is just yet another box you hook up to your TV. Or you might not need an extra box. It depends on what
1: you have. See, if you have a DVR uh certain brands are already partnering with uh services to provide digital downloads
0: right like Netflix or Amazon
1: yep yep TiVo has partnership deals in place and um basically you can if if you have a broadband connection and the right kind of TiVo you can go ahead and download movies right then and there right um and you know you can use the box for other things you can use it for its regular DVR capabilities which is uh which a lot of people already are Of course, you know TiVo is not the only one. There are dozens of others now. Um, You know, Dish Network has their own proprietary uh, box. Scientific Atlanta, uh, now part of Cisco, you know, makes a lot of boxes for Mm. different uh, cable manufacturers. Like Comcast, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, um, you can you can always build your own too. We've had a podcast on that, not terribly long ago, using
0: a computer as a media center. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, So I mean, these kinds of things, uh, you know, that would be uh, your favorite word. You convergence know, it convergence um so you wouldn't necessarily that or need, pie yeah i knew
0: it had to be one of the two convergence or pie yeah it
1: wasn't it wasn't but a, a few weeks ago that i discovered uh jonathan's fondness for pie so every once in a while i'm i'm you know i may need to uh throw that in there just to watch his eyes glaze over yeah, it's kind I, of fun
0: if i get into a rant all you have to do is say the word pie and I'm like, <laughs> pie but um yeah
1: convergence may you know be the the end of the the argument for a lot of people because you know, other technologies like the sling player, you know, that's, that's being built into dish network receivers too. So, I mean, you can, you can get, uh, I'm sure there will be competing technologies for that too in the, in the future. So.
0: well, Sling player is another good example of stuff you can hook hook up up to to your your TV. TV.
1: Yep. That's a place shifter. If you don't know what sling player is, um, and it will let you say you're on a business trip, you have your sling player hooked up and (laughs) configured correctly. Um, you can, you know, tune into your network at home, uh, use it to control your DVR and watch your recorded TV shows, or you can watch live TV on a, on a, you know, on some event, especially that you may not be able to get in your local area, like say uh sporting event, which has actually caused a lot of sporting leagues to be very upset with Sling and I assume Dish too, now that they were acquired.
0: I... I would just like, like you're
1: out of the area. You're in a blackout zone. You're not supposed to be able to see this. I just take,
0: like, to take a moment to say, what the hell? I mean, they wouldn't be able to watch it anyway. What's the problem with watching it? I don't, I don't under this no sense to baseball (laughs) graves.
1: (laughs) What, what makes no sense to me is if you are allowed to watch it because you live in the zone and you are across the country on a business trip watching it on your, your place shifting uh device. I don't see why if you are legally allowed to watch it, you just don't happen to be at that place at that time why you wouldn't be allowed to.
0: Right. Geography means less and less in the digital age. Yes. Right? Indeed. I I, Oh, it irritates me so much. Um I feel I feel (laughs) the pie. I feel the same way about this as, uh, as I'm sure a lot of our foreign listeners feel about, uh, being able to n- not being able to access things like Hulu. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm because sure because really for us in the seriously. United States with BBC, we exactly. can't, watch BBC, we can't watch BBC programming, which is frustrating, which is why whenever you Brits talk to us about Doctor Who, we're like, wait, what happened? Cause we're a year behind. Yes. Um, no spoilers. No spoilers. So, uh, oh, we also, I was going to mention Apple TV. Oh yeah, because that's another digital media kind of downloading device. Yeah,
1: that's sort of in a gray area too, because it's not a it's not a it's a it's uh it's it's Apple TV.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, you you can use Apple TV to essentially kind of it's it's kind of like hooking up your television to iTunes. Really, is what it boils down to. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And you can use it to rent HD movies or purchase movies or television off of iTunes and watch it on your television. And uh, so it's again, it's one of those things where for people who who are unsure about hooking up a computer to their television, or maybe if maybe you're one of those households where everyone has a laptop, you don't have a, a machine that you can dedicate to that, right? Then this makes sense. So
1: yeah, actually, it's uh, it's received quite a lot of praise, but um, I don't, you know, it's not one of their perennial top sellers. I've heard people, you know, I've heard rumors in the past that they were going to kill it, and they haven't. So,
0: yeah, you know, good. it must sell some, right?
1: Um, but uh, it's a pretty neat little device, but it's, it's very specialized in what it can do. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I could, I could get a computer and actually convert it to a media center mm-hmm. and have it do this and other stuff, you right. know, with something like Boxy.
0: Well, that's the thing though. I think, I think a lot of these items are really marketed for that, that group of consumers where they're not technologically savvy enough to take the steps that are required to hook up a computer to your television or home entertainment system. Because in mm-hmm. some cases, it takes more than just, you know, putting the right cable between the two devices. There there are other steps that are involved. And um, if you don't have the correct software, for example, you'll be thinking, why the heck isn't this working? And you'll yeah. get really frustrated. Whereas a box, of course, it's all supposed to work right out of the box. Right. If it's designed correctly. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, what other devices do you have, if any?
1: Um, well, I, I wrote down some things about, uh, gaming systems, but that's kind of a separate category.
0: That's true. Yeah. There are tons of gaming systems. Um, I was going to talk oh. about, uh, the online video game console. Yeah. Because we mentioned that in a, a podcast previously. The online video game console was supposed to be this device that allows you to download, uh, uh, or, or actually to play games over the cloud. You're not uh-huh. even, you're not even downloading. Right. But you're, um, able well, to play, you know, a little bit. Yeah. There's some stuff on the device itself. <laughs> Sorry. But, Sorry. But the, I'm being technical. It, there's, there's a, uh, there's supposed to be a version, version for the PC, for the Mac, and then there's a, a standalone little right. console that you hook mm-hmm. up to the TV. And ideally you would be able to play these really, Normally resource-intensive games, uh, but the cloud would take care of all the processing for you. Right. So you would just be able to play it right out of the box. And you wouldn't have to have the latest and greatest machine to play it. Uh, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because I noticed going to their website that I haven't seen any updates since June 1st. Wow. So uh, And E3 that- came and went, and I didn't see anything about it at E3 when I Uh-oh. was there. Yeah, that makes me a little nervous. Yeah, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to get shades of the phantom. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case. So uh, they are supposed to continue an open beta, and uh, not that I've been contacted. I did express interest, but I haven't heard back. Right. And uh, it's supposedly going to be available um, this coming winter. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep our eyes open, see if that actually comes to fruition, or if maybe this is another one of those things that just fizzles out before it ever goes to market.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, then.
0: So I guess that just leaves us to our favorite segment. Oh, yes? Which is a listener mail. Okay, then. So this listener mail comes from James, and he uh, has a nice long email, so I'm just going to, again, cut this a little short. Hey, guys. I must say I've always been quite the techie since I was a kid. I've always tried to stay on top of the latest and greatest things in the tech world. I work now as a computer programmer, but I'm also a professional musician at night with my band, Shipyard Wreck. Plug. So my worlds collide quite often between music or art and computers, which to me is an art as well. I was wondering what you guys might think about computers and technology and their effects on art. In the studio, I love using all the digital tools and whatnot, but at the same time, I think people sometimes use it too much, mostly because they don't have the talent to back it up. Do you think we will ever get back to a world of music where samples, auto-tune, and other digital tools rule the world in markets? I think he said means when they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I somewhat fear that someday technology will push aside art because true artists will no longer be respected due to the fact that any Joe Schmo would be able to produce music at the touch of a button. And he goes on, but that's enough for us to talk about this briefly what's your take on technology and art well um you know as a an
1: artist of sorts uh, not a visual artist but a musician um i gotta say that a lot of times we the the stuff that i do with the people i record with um is really a collaboration of technologies between analog and digital um i don't think you can i mean digital technology makes art of all kinds, a lot easier in a lot of respects, but it kind of depends on what you do with it. And it's sort of like my, my feelings on ebooks. I, you know, I like the idea of having a, a digital device where you can read, um, you know, thousands of books on the train or where, you know, take it with you and not have to carry a whole bunch of textbooks. There's something about the physical medium. Um, there's something about playing an instrument or going to a museum and actual see, you know, seeing the texture of the paint on the canvas or, you know, um, a sculpture that you can actually look at or in some cases touch. Um, and, and, you know, the, the kind of thing where you, you actually have it in your hands, a book in your hands where you flip the page. There's that, that sort of visceral reaction that I don't think you can get, uh, through pure digital media. Plus there's that pre- whole preservation question. Right. And, you know, whether it's going to be available to the next generation of people, whether it's going to fall apart or whether people will even be able to read it if it's in some format or used on some computer. I mean, will people be able to read DVDs in 60 years? Sure. So, I mean, you know, there there are a lot of questions regarding that. And I think uh, computers are great for helping us, you know, create some of these things. But, you know, I don't think I don't think analog art forms are going to ever completely go away.
0: I agree. I think technology does help people realize their artistic visions um, in ways that they otherwise may not be able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it will ever re- completely replace it. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of the stuff I've listened to, um, I, you can tell quality. That's that's really what it boils down to. I mean, you, can, you might enjoy like a, a, a weird song that was produced by putting a whole bunch of samples together. But that, that's sort of a novelty. Uh, I think, um, I think genuine artistic expression does come through whether you're using technology to achieve it or not. Oh, sure. And if you don't have that, then it just won't, you know, it just doesn't have any real lasting power. So I agree. I don't think technology is ever going to push the artistic expression out. Um, I think it's going to continue helping people express themselves artistically. And uh, I see it as a great thing. In fact, there are some musicians I never would have heard of without technology. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's true. That was a great question, James. Um, that, that would probably uh, deserve its full podcast all on its own, but maybe I'll just switch that over to uh, Stuff from the B-Sides and see what they want to do with it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, thanks. And if any of you have any suggestions or questions, you can write us. Our email address is at com, and you can learn all about various home theater uh, boxes and sets and doohickeys, that's a technical term, yeah. at howstuffworks.com. Crispy and I will talk to you again, probably about pie, really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new TechStuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready.
0: Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything.